And on Ash Wednesday of this week, we entered into this season of Lent, this season of preparation, and we entered in with these words from the prayer book, I invite you therefore in the name of the church to the observance of a holy Lent, by self-examination and repentance, by prayer and fasting and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. The church invites us into this celebration, and, and when the church does that, she gives us this passage to read each year on the first Sunday of Lent, this passage of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And there's so much going on here in this passage. Uh, I've been reading this for a few weeks, and every time I read it, it's, I, I see something new, and there's something rich and something to see. I'm, we could talk this morning about so many things. Jesus uh, in the passage right before this, has his baptism. Remember, we celebrated that a month ago with our first baptism here at City of Light. Jesus is baptized, and the voice of God the Father blesses him and sends him off on his mission and fills him with the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness for 40 days, to temptation, to fasting, to prayer. And the devil comes and tempts him three different times, And Jesus responds each time with scripture. And then after this season of preparation, then Jesus begins his public ministry. There is so much there. We could talk about prayer and fasting and what that means and how fasting from things helps us hold fast to the Lord. We could talk about how often it is that when God calls us to do something in our life, he'll fill us with the Holy Spirit, he'll send us to do something, and then we'll hit a wilderness we'll hit a moment of testing and temptation where we'll doubt what he'd called us to do. We could talk about the way that the devil tempts Jesus, the three different ways and how Satan often tempts us in similar ways. We could talk about the fact that there is a devil, a personal reality of evil. There's so much in this passage. We can just keep coming to it over and over, year after year, Lent after Lent, and find something rich to learn and to, to be taught. As I mentioned last week, Bonnie and I, a couple weeks ago, had the chance to go to Mexico for a few days. And the place where we were staying on the beach had this restaurant where we ate most of our meals. And I guess you would call it a buffet, but that doesn't quite do it justice. Um, they, they just had all of these different types of food. You could go in there. There was a bakery section with freshly made breads and pastries. And there was always a taco bar with different types of meat and salsas and freshly made tortillas. And and there was like a meat carving station where you could be like, I'd like some of that, medium rare, please. And it was just all these different things. And the first time I went there, I was like, what am I supposed to eat? How am I supposed to decide? There are so many different meals you could have here. And that's how the Bible is. You come to this passage and there's so many rich meals you can, you can feast on in Scripture and you can come to it again and again and again and it's always new, it's always fresh. You see something new. You've gone through something new personally and now you can relate to it in a new way. The Word of God is like a Mexican beach buffet. Well, you know what I mean, right? It's always new. There's something we can feed on here. And when Jesus spends 40 days preparing for his ministry, He's feasting on the word of God. And when the temptation comes, the word is right there. He's ready. 
And the first thing he responds with to the very first temptation, he says, people cannot live on bread alone. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, and the rest of that passage that some of the other gospels include is, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at how we can feast on the word of God, how we can feed on the Bible. So just two ideas on that phrase that Jesus gives us. One, that we need Jesus. That we need him. It's like we need bread. We need Jesus. And second, that we can read Jesus. We can actually meet him and feed on him when we read him in Scripture. So as we study this phrase, this passage, um, let's open in prayer and ask the Lord to meet us this morning. Lord, you've given us this teaching, and by your Holy Spirit, you've inspired the church to give it to us on this first Sunday of Lent. Lord, we want to meet you in your word, and we want to feast and feed on you in your word. So come now. We invite you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, to open up the pages of your word to us, that we would meet you here and be changed by you. Amen. Um, Grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's several on the table over here. Feel free to get up and grab some if you've got it on your device. And let's look together um, here at Luke chapter 4. Jesus is fasting 40 days without food. He's hungry. The devil comes and tempts him. And this temptation is for Jesus to fill his physical need, to perform a miracle, turn this stone into bread. You're hungry, have some bread, eat it. And I was reading a pastor who was writing about this passage this week. Uh, his name's uh, G. Campbell Morgan. And he said the temptation here is what, what the devil's doing is he's, he's reducing people to just their physical needs. Re- he, he's sort of saying that, Jesus, your biggest need right now is for bread. That's what you need. You need to satisfy yourself physically. So do it. Go ahead. And when Jesus responds, what he's saying is, no, the the physical need is not the most important need. I'm here in the wilderness. I haven't eaten in 40 days, but my most important need is not for bread. It's not for food. It's for the Lord. That's why I'm here. People need more than just bread. Just a physical um, understanding of the human person is incomplete. In school, I studied... uh, this idea, maybe you've heard of it, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, if you just remember that phrase, that sounds super impressive. So if you ever pull it out, it sounds really good in a conversation. Oh yeah, just like Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, that's good. But it's this idea of uh, what, what people need as a human person, and, and he represents it as a triangle. And on the bottom is kind of your foundational need, which is for physical provision. You need food and water. And then it goes up from there. You need safety. You need love, you need um, purpose, you need self-actualization. Um, this is his hierarchy of what you need. And there's lots of things to learn from that, and there's critique of that too. It's pretty self-focused. What Jesus is saying is that there's something more foundational to the human need than just your physical needs. That the human person was actually meant to be nourished by the relationship with the Lord that our greatest, most fundamental need is for Jesus. 
But we were made to need Jesus. Just like we need bread, we were made to need Jesus. And so Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8, which is a really interesting passage on its own. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses, the leader of the Israelites, hundreds of years before Jesus, is reminding them what they've just been through. They've just been through their own 40 experience in the wilderness, but it was 40 years. And they had gotten to the wilderness where they needed provision and they didn't have anything. And Moses reminds them, he says this, people of Israel, remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness and he humbled you and let you hunger. He let you hunger and he fed you with bread. Do you remember the story? The Israelites didn't have food and God said, well, I'll feed you with manna, bread from heaven. And every morning they'd wake up and there on the ground would be little white flakes that they could collect and make into bread. It was just enough for what they needed that day. Why did he do this, Moses says? That God might teach you that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God let them hunger. He let them know their need. And it's a real need. He actually provided for that need. Manna from heaven, water from a rock. God provided for that need, but he wanted them to know that they need more than just their daily physical provisions. They need the Lord. So often we find ourselves worrying like Jesus talked about in the Sermon of the Mount. Worrying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? And those things are important. I don't know if you've been watching the uh, water crisis that's been happening in Flint, Michigan, the state where I'm from, but because of, at the very best, governmental mismanagement and at the worst, uh, governmental corruption, they don't have clean water, and they haven't for over a year. And Flint is a city with lots of folks who can't just afford to go buy bottled water, and so folks are suffering because they don't have clean water. Clean water is important. And Jesus and Moses both say, God will provide that. But there's something even more important. Not just what will nourish our bodies, but what will nourish our souls. All throughout Scripture, this metaphor of bread is used for how God wants to nourish our souls. I like to call it a, a breadaphor. It's a metaphor about bread. It helps me remember it. Our physical bodies need nourishment, but so do our souls. Our bodies were made to get strength from food. Our souls were made to get strength from God. Um, we're going to be reading Philippians throughout Lent. Uh, we read the first passage this morning. I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about people that he describes as people who have set their mind on earthly things. He says, their belly is their God. They serve their belly. They, they worship what they eat. And it's fun to eat and drink good things. That's, that's good. That's fun. And it's, our body needs that. But so often what we consume physically, whether it's food or whether it's experiences, um, we consume it physically because we're so hungry spiritually. And we just don't know how to feed spiritually. I mean, we've even got language for this, right? What do we do when we're upset? We eat our feelings, right? What do we do when we watch a lot of television? We don't binge eat, we binge watch, right? 
we're consuming, we're trying to feed ourselves, we're trying to feed our souls, but we're trying to use physical things. Maybe it's a, a transcendent experience that we go looking for. Maybe we try to feed ourselves with alcohol so we actually numb our hunger. Maybe with drugs so we kind of can forget our need. Maybe it's looking for a sexual experience or an emotional experience. Maybe we search for it in good things like nature and hiking and sports and CrossFit and all these other things. But we're, we're looking for a spiritual, we're looking to fill a spiritual hunger that can't be met in those things. I have a, a friend who's just about the healthiest eater I've ever met or heard of. And um, she's t- told me how changing your diet is like retraining your brain and its cravings. That we learn to crave food um, for all different reasons that actually isn't good for our bodies, that isn't good for us. But that we can, through discipline, through learning, actually teach our bodies what it actually needs in that moment. I might be craving, you know, a Snickers bar because I'm hungry, so the commercial tells us. Um, But actually, that's not what I need. That won't fill me up. I need something healthy. I should probably just eat an apple or some broccoli or something, right? Food is a physical sign of a spiritual reality that our souls need regular nourishment from the Lord, that we need to feed on him. Lent is like a spiritual cleanse. It wants us to pull away all these other things that we've been feeding and feasting on, to pull them away so that we can feed on the thing that actually will fill us. It's not a second chance at your New Year's resolution. It's not a second chance to clean your closet or get back on that exercise plan or, you know, organize some things in your life. Those are all fine things. That's not what Lent is about. Lent is about clearing away the places that we try to feed our soul and feasting on the Lord. That's why the invitation to Lent says to meditate on his word and in prayer, to get rid of the other things so that you can focus on Jesus and meet him. It's an invitation from the church. It's an invitation from the Lord to remember how much we need Jesus, to know our hunger for him, that we cannot live on bread alone. We need the Lord. We need Jesus, so we read Jesus. It's in the Bible that Jesus turns to nourishment in his 40 days in the wilderness. Remember, he doesn't have the text printed out in front of him, likely, as he's in the wilderness. He has memorized it. He has read it. He has meditated on it. He knows it. It's part of him. He has feasted on it. So it nourishes him. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the bread of life. He is that true spiritual bread. It also teaches that he is the word. When we talk about the word of God and we talk about the Bible, Jesus is the living word of God that the Bible points us to. And this is, this is an important distinction. I'll say more why. But here's how we get there. It was the word of God in Jesus that we're taught created the world that it's Jesus as God's word being spoken in creation that creates the word, the world. Throughout history, God has spoken to his people, but when when God's fullest revelation of himself comes, he speaks by actually coming. 
He becomes the word that he speaks. And so Jesus is God's word, not just spoken to us, but incarnate, living. He is the living embodiment of who God is and what we need to know about God. He's a person. He is the word of God. Word becomes deed, becomes action, becomes living. It becomes a person. And so the word of God in scripture is to be loved, cherished. We are to devote ourselves to it. But this, this is holy because it speaks of Jesus. This is holy because we meet Jesus in it. That this written word leads us to Jesus, the living word. This, apart from the living, breathing person of Jesus, is not holy. But because it speaks of Jesus, the Holy One, then it becomes our foundation and our feasting place. When we come to Scripture, engage our minds, engage our hearts, and open ourselves to the Bible, we open ourselves to the person of Jesus, to the Lord. And that's when our life can change. Let me give you a couple examples of why this is important. Kind of two ends of a spectrum. Why it's important that when we read the Bible, we're reading it to meet the living Jesus, the living word. Because if you don't think you're going to meet Jesus, the person in the Bible, you might just stop reading it. You might think, well, I'm going to meet Jesus in other places. Um, Places that... We're told in the Bible we do meet Jesus, places like communion or baptism or serving others or the body of Christ, the church, or through prayer and the Holy Spirit. Those are all places we meet Jesus, but we're told we meet him there in the Bible, and we're told what Jesus looks like in the Bible. It's our foundation. It's our whole structure. Remove the foundational place of the Bible in teaching us who Jesus is and revealing Jesus to us, and soon we don't quite know what Jesus looks like. And we don't really meet the true Jesus. We meet a Jesus that looks a little bit more like us and it looks like him. And we can't actually see the Jesus who says that he is the one um, of the narrow way. And we, we don't see the hard sayings of Jesus. We don't see the Jesus that confronts the way we're living our life and asks us to live it differently because that's what's best for us. We don't meet the Jesus who tells us that to follow him, you must take up your cross and lay down your life. Without the Bible, we begin to follow a Jesus that looks more like us instead of meeting the Jesus of the Bible. And the Jesus of the Bible asks us to look more like him. The Bible is where we learn how to hear Jesus' voice, what Jesus looks like. So that when we come to all these other experiences throughout our daily lives, we can recognize him at work. If you don't think you meet Jesus in the Bible, you might just stop reading it. If you don't think you meet Jesus in the Bible, you might not be reading it right. Here's what I mean. You might read it like it's just a historical document worthy of academic interest and study. And there's uh, lots of folks who read the Bible this way. Um, Some of them are professors. Some of them are just interested in things. They read it just like they would the Iliad or Plato's Republic or the Egyptian Book of the Dead or any other ancient text, and it becomes about uh, dissection of the text instead of connection with Jesus. 
And those are two very different things. You might read it like it's good advice that could help your life. If you don't believe you're meeting Jesus there, you might read it like it's good advice that could help your life. The greatest self-help book ever written. A bestseller that will make you, if you follow its instructions, happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. There are a lot of people masquerading as religious leaders and even pastors who teach about the Bible as a set of ways to help your life get better. And that has very little to do with Jesus. If you don't think you're going to meet Jesus in the Bible, you might read it like it's just rules to follow in order to be good enough for Jesus to love you. If I can find all the rules in the Bible, all of the right ways to think or to act, to vote or to argue in whatever argument that's going on in our society, if I can just read the Bible and find out what the right answer is and then say that or live that or believe that, then I'll know that I'm okay with God. Two things happen when you read the Bible that way as a set of rules. One, you could feel like you're really good at keeping the rules. You could feel like, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm all right. Wonder why other people can't keep the rules as good as you can. You can do it. You're okay. And that pride, that arrogance leads to a judging of others which is something Jesus would never do. Which means you haven't actually met him. You haven't actually experienced your own need of him. Because when you meet Jesus, you know that he is God and we are not. And we are mortal. And we are to humble ourselves before him. You might feel like you're good at keeping the rules or you might feel like you're really bad at following the rules and that you are a failure and you'll always be a failure. You just can't live up to what the Bible says you're supposed to do and to what other people seem to be able to do just fine. In your heart, if you read the Bible that way, you will always feel like a disappointment to God. You will never feel like he loves you. You've never met the real Jesus either. Because when you meet Jesus, he shows you his love and his heart for you. He knows you need him. He made you to need him. And he's here for you. That no matter what sin you've ever committed, no matter what temptation you've faced and you've fallen to, that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and he faced those same temptations and he defeated them. And he went to the cross so that every time you've ever fallen short and not and, and given into temptation, every, every time you've sinned, every time you will sin, he has died for. He's taken it upon himself. And from the cross, he looks to each of us and he says, I did this for you because I love you and I always will, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do. That's the Jesus we meet. If you never kept a single rule, if you never keep another rule, he has still died for you and his love for you is never ending. And when you read the Bible to meet Jesus, we meet a Savior who is mighty to save, who knows our weakness, and he wants to fill us with his strength to feed on him. And this is why having a right view of the Bible matters, why believing that we meet Jesus here matters. When we read the Bible, it is an encounter with the incarnate Jesus, risen from the dead, 
champion over our sin. It's not a word that informs. It is a person that transforms. It's not a subjective search for an idea of Jesus that makes us feel better about our life. It's a confrontation with a first century Jewish prophet who's also the God of the universe, who made it all, who is at once fully human like us, but also completely different and hard to understand, yet compelling, and we want to know and we want to follow, who wants to take us to places that we would never choose to go ourselves, but once we're there, it's the place we were meant to be. It's not an ancient text with wisdom. It's an invitation to know the God who knows all things. It is not a call to good advice that will make us successful in the eyes of the world. It's a call to give up our lives for others for the sake of knowing Jesus because we know that he will fulfill every need we have. It is not rules to follow to earn God's approval. It is the love of God that is so deep and wide that when we taste even a little bit of it, We know our need and we know our broken places, but we know that his love has come to heal our needs and heal those broken places and fill them and put us back together little by little so that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto that day. Unto that day when we meet God face to face and we know that our desires are fully and completely met in him and that we have the strength to follow and love him with all our hearts. We need Jesus. We meet him here in his word. We live completely by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. As I've been praying about Lent here at City of Light and as we've talked with other leaders here, our team leaders and our staff, and we've all been praying about where the Lord is leading us, we just had this sense that the Lord is inviting us as a church family to feed on his word, to know our need for him, to be hungry for the Bible because it's where we meet Jesus. And Ash Wednesday, we made a start of this, of marking ourselves with ashes in the sign of the cross as people who utterly need the Lord, as people who are sinners who need the Lord, but as people who are marked by his cross. That in Jesus, his death, and and in his resurrection, he comes to us and feeds us, and we can meet him together. So I want to invite us as a church, this Lent, these next 40 days as we prepare to walk with Jesus not only through his 40 days of wilderness but then to the cross on Good Friday and to participate in his suffering so that we may also have a share in his glory and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And as we do that, that we would clear out from our lives those other things that we hold on to and we try to meet our needs with so that we can feed on the word of God and feed on Jesus, the living word. It may be as you've been thinking about let, that you've been thinking about things to give up. Maybe I'm gonna give up chocolate or listening to the radio in the car 
or only, you know, three Netflix episodes in a row, or alcohol, or, or whatever. You might need to clear some things out, but Lent is about clearing things out so that we can meet Jesus in his word. So I want to I invite you all to think about where you will meet the Lord, where you will feed on him. And I want to invite us as a church to do it together in the book of Philippians. We're going to be reading it and teaching about it on Sundays. I invite you to meditate and read on feed on the word of God throughout the week. Philippians has four chapters. So we've divided it up so that you can do a different reading plan each week and throughout all of Lent, read through the whole book. Or if you want to, reading through the whole book takes about 10 minutes. What is the Lord calling? How is he inviting you to to be hungry for him and for his word this, this Lent? We've got a devotional that I'll show you in a minute and it has a place where you can make a commitment or you can pray, Lord, what are you inviting me into? How can I meet you in your word this Lent? And you, if it's helpful for you, you can write it down. You can share it with someone who can encourage you. You can say, for Lent, I want to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Or I want to read one passage from Philippians every day. Or I want to write out a passage from Philippians or memorize a verse. How's the Lord inviting you to feed on him? You can do it with, if you're in a couple, you can do it with your partner. If you're in a family, you can do it with your family. How are you going to feed on him this Lent? There's going to be five different groups meeting throughout Lent. First one's this Sunday afternoon, and then tomorrow morning, and Tuesday night, and Wednesday morning, and Friday night. Come feed on him together. When you open the word of God, start with a prayer. Lord, I need you. I believe that I was made not just to need bread, but to need your word. So Jesus, living word, come and meet me here today. Sometimes you will feel that profound sense of Jesus' presence with you. Sometimes you won't feel it right then, you'll feel it later in the day when that passage you feasted on gives you strength or comes back to you. Sometimes you'll feel it over the course of many, many days and weeks and years of reading the Bible where you begin to believe not what the world says about you or about God, but what God says about you and about God. And when you begin to have the strength through the Holy Spirit to obey what God says about you, you'll begin to feel it as, as Jesus' heart is transplanted into you, and you begin to have his heart for other people who are hungry and who need him and who don't know that they can meet him. Sometimes you won't feel anything at that moment, but you can still believe that you need this, that you need the Lord. Because people cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Lord, may we this Lent know our need for you, the living word. May we as a church come to the Bible hungry for you, May we feed on you by faith in our hearts with thanksgiving. Amen.